0: It is the season of Advent, and we are filled with hope. But this season, let's make our hope God-sized, not just, I hope it doesn't rain, or, oh, I hope we get there in time. Let's put our big hopes in God and know that the answer is not just, eh, maybe, but an amazing, fulfilling promise that God has great plans for our life. That's today on the podcast. it's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening in to our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. This week, Pastor Jason talks about the first week of Advent and how a God-sized hope is so different than just the maybe I hope it might happen kind of hope. So, let's supersize our hope and check it out right now.
1: God with us. Today, we are talking about what does it mean to have God-sized hope. Hope is a powerful thing, just like the lack of hope can be a powerful thing. I want to tell you a story, true story, about a man named John Aldridge, who's a fisherman out of Montauk, Long Island. And uh, this, uh, cbsnews.com has the whole story, but John, uh, with his fishing partner, Anthony, they were out fishing in the middle of the night, maybe you heard this story, they were out fishing about 40 miles offshore, and uh, John was uh, rigging something in the back of the boat and he fell off, and Anthony had no idea that he had fallen off the back of the boat. and he, He tried to explain, he's like... You're out in the middle of the black of the ocean, you fall in and you just watch the boat keep going uh, and then disappear over the crest of a wave and feeling about as hopeless and bleak as you possibly can in the middle of the Atlantic by yourself. And so as he was out there, he said, uh, you know, my first thought is, well, I guess this is how I go. His second thought was, well, My boots are floating. The boots that I'm wearing are kind of floating. I wonder if I could make them kind of like a flotation device. And he took his boots off and he kind of went underwater with them to kind of make a pocket of air. And then he held them under each arm. And he said he had a glimmer of hope. That I might actually survive this. Well, not too long after that happened, about 15 feet away from him, a couple of sharks were swimming. Yeah, I'd be like, I'm out. That's it. So (laughs) It's over. It's over. And his response was, okay, look, stay calm. Stay calm. Stay calm. And maybe they will just kind of leave me alone. So he stayed calm. They left him alone. Sharks left him alone. And then he said, uh, to think about surviving was kind of too big of a thing to think about. So he just said, how do I survive until morning? That was his goal, survive until morning. And he was hopeful because he was able to, he didn't have to swim, he was able to stay afloat. But as morning drew closer, and then the sun came up, and he started thinking, it's like, you know, how are they ever going to find me out here? I mean, I, I don't even know when Anthony will even notice that I'm not there, searching for me in the middle of the open ocean. Then he found a fishing buoy. He had hope again, and he climbed on top of that buoy. And exactly 12 hours after he went into the water, he was rescued. The Coast Guard actually found him on the top of this buoy. He said a plane went by, and he waved, and he thought, was pretty sure the plane saw him. And not too long after, a helicopter came. He said at that moment, he just knew. He knew that he was saved. And in one of the quotes, of, as I was reading the story around the Internet, Uh, One of the quotes that he had in an interview, he said, hope was not optional. Hope is a powerful thing. Sometimes it's even a matter of life or death. Hope is that whisper. Maybe these boots will float. Maybe, just maybe, there is a chance for me to survive this. Maybe there's a chance for me to be rescued. Hope is powerful. And if we were all bobbing up and down the middle of the Atlantic with sharks nearby, I just don't know if we would have that same level of hope. But hope is like that. It's a whisper that somehow this is going to save me. Somehow I'm going to make it through. And I was thinking, what is hope in your life? What does that look like? Maybe for you, hope looks like you've just had a horrible day and a sleepless night. And maybe a night where you're just, you feel like you have no more tears left. And you wake up in the morning and you see that sunrise and you think, well, maybe I could get through today. Maybe that's hope for you. Maybe it's a different kind of hope. Maybe it's, you know, I've been diagnosed with a disease and there's a 30% chance I'll recover. There's a 30% chance. That is hope. Maybe it's hope in a relationship that has soured that you think can never be repaired and then all of a sudden the other person kind of extends a little olive branch to you and you think maybe maybe there's hope hope is a powerful thing it can change us from the inside out think about the power of hope when you have hope in something it changes the direction of your life like well this is how i go to maybe i'll make it till morning Usually, as I was reflecting on my the kind of hopes that I have, what I notice is I have more hope when it's tethered to trust. So in a relationship, if I have trust in someone or something, the higher the trust, the more hope I have. I'll give you a story about this. So I'm in high school, and uh, my buddy Chris and I were uh, driving home. He was driving me home. Now, I lived in the Poconos, which... Uh, I don't know if you know the Poconos at all, but at least in the late 80s, early 90s, the Poconos, there were like no lights anywhere. It was just pitch black. And uh, we had just moved to a new place, uh, which was kind of near the Bushkill uh, area of the Poconos. Not too far away. Some of you know that area. So, But here's the thing. I couldn't remember exactly uh, how to get home. Uh, I mean, I kind of knew, I kind of knew the way just by sight, but I didn't know any street names yet. And uh, anyway, we're just about home. We're like a few miles from home, and uh, Chris's car breaks down, overheats. And this is like nine, ten o'clock at night in the Pocono. I mean, there's like nothing happening. Life has stopped uh, by that time. And there's a little deli there with a payphone. Now you see kids a payphone. You put money in, and you... so. We're there, and, uh, and, and I'm like, okay, I don't exactly remember how to get home. So if we call a taxi, I don't think I could say which way to go. I would have to know by going. Like, I think it would work out, but how are we going to get a taxi way up here? I don't think they have taxis here, to be honest. like, I, What do we do? There was no Uber. There's no nothing like that. So, so uh, I knew, though, okay, I got enough money for a phone call. The payphone. Who am I going to call? I'm going to call my mom. Mom was the one who I had the most trust in in the world. And if anybody was going to get me out of this, my hope, my highest percentage of hope was on mom. Because she was the one I had the most trust in. <laughs> Funny side note to this story is when I did call mom, the phone was busy. I tried, <laughs> to, I tried calling mom probably 25 times. Busy. We ended up getting a taxi and making it home, and I went home, and mom was like, Oh, yeah, the phone was ringing so bad, we just took it off the hook. <laughs> mom, your son was out at night, and you leave your. I still had hope in my mother after that. Well, I can't believe it. It's like parent fail. But see, my hopes, my hopes go up the more I have trust in the person or thing I have hope. You see what I'm saying? Is that trust plays a big part in my hopes. My hopes are different based on trust, and trust comes from a relationship. Now here's the thing. This is what the season of Advent is about. It's about trusting and hoping. It's about the relationship between the trust we have in God and the hope that he is going to rescue us. He is going to show up. Now, when we talk about Advent this season, we of course reflect on when Jesus was born. But we are people who are living between Advents. Jesus came and then he's going to come again. But even more than that, there's a spiritual version of this, of waiting upon God for whatever Advent we're hoping for or waiting for. It could be Uh, Again, like we said, a relationship that needs mending. A situation where you want God to show up. And that's its own kind of advent. And what it is, it's waiting with God-sized hope that God's going to show up and rescue you. That these boots will somehow float and keep you alive in that situation until God shows up. That he will come no matter what. And so advent, when we talk about this time of advent, we talk about what does it mean to wait faithfully? What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? What does it mean to wait for God to show up. It's about waiting with God-sized hope. I want to turn to a very familiar passage this time of year. This is Luke chapter 1. And I want to share with you uh, a little glimpse of what God-sized hope looks like. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. Who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. What does that mean? Uh, the descendants of Aaron were the priests. So she was a descendant of a priest. And Zechariah was an actual priest. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. That means that they performed their religious duties flawlessly. They were righteous. In the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. It was like a a rotation of priests, and they would all have different duties. And one of them uh, was to be chosen to go in and to light the incense, which he's about to be asked to do. He was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So I can only imagine this. It's kind of like if your job was to come in and light the candles at church, and if you were to do that every week of most of your adult life. And then one day you come in and there's an angel. That might get your attention. It might be a tad shocking. You might also be wondering like like what's about to happen. Like there's an angel here. What's going on? When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. That's, that's really rare uh, before the cross, to hear that being said of anybody, that they be filled with the Holy Spirit, especially before they are born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. Now what did that mean? So Elijah had become a bit of a folk hero in Jewish tradition. Because he was the prophet who didn't die. He came, like the chariot of fire came and whisked him away to heaven. And there was a lot of legend around Elijah and what that meant. And how one day he was going to come back. And he's basically saying he's going to be in that same Power, that same category, the spirit and power of Elijah. That would have been a big deal for Zechariah to hear. He knew what that meant. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. you imagine hearing all that? Zechariah, faithful, faithfully serving God. Faithfully serving in the temple, he knew all the stories. We've heard this one before. Oh yeah, we're too old to have children. He knew those stories. He knew all the prophecies. It said he knew them flawlessly. He observed his religious practices flawlessly. And so Zechariah's big response, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Wasn't that nice of him to say it that way? (laughs) The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. I think maybe at first read we read that and be like, "Nah, dang, Gabriel's a little harsh." Right? But there were a few subtexts to this. One is Zechariah kind of stood for the faithful. Those who were observing their religious practices and yet not still not able to put their trust wholeheartedly in God. And maybe, just maybe, during that time of quiet, I mean, they didn't withhold the promise because of it. But I love that, well, he was silenced. So if you couldn't talk, some of you would be like, oh, it's fine by me. But others would be like, I would not survive. You couldn't talk. You'd be forced to listen. Sounds like God was trying to train in him Something that he lacked, even in all of his religious practice. Listening, believing, maybe even hoping that what God says is actually going to come to pass and not doubting. So Zechariah and Elizabeth, back to them. They are, you know, he's a temple priest. She's of priestly heritage. In other words, they should have known. I mean, they should have gotten this. They should have been able to not focus just on the biology and go forward in faith in fact his question seems to be a little bit more than just biology like i know that we're old but how can i be sure of this he actually doesn't ask the question well what do we do about the age thing he's asked how can i be sure that's like a question of doubt right a doubt that that it's like well maybe god's promise might happen but how can i be sure They perform their religious obligations flawlessly. And here's the thing. Here's the thing that should sting a little bit to all of us. Is that religious activity is not the same thing as living with God-sized hope. Religious activity is not the same thing as living with God-sized hope. Nor is it the same thing of living in faith. It's kind of like, you know, I heard, I forget which preacher said this. You know, preachers, we get all sorts of sayings. We don't know who to give credit to them. I think we just share them with each other. But somebody uh, had once put it this way, said, sitting in church does not make you a Christian, just like sitting in a garage does not make you a car. It's not just about the religious activity It's about the heart. I mean, case in point, you can go through all the activity of Christmas and not get all that much out of Christmas. It's not just about the activity, it's about the heart. And this was one of the main lessons that God was trying to get across to the people of Israel. Because for them, it had all been about the religious activity. In fact, it was all about getting through the loopholes in order to be righteous before God. There were loopholes in the law that they it was considered faithful of you to practice the loopholes. It showed that you really knew what you were doing when you could get around the law and be righteous. Let's keep going with verse 26. I want to contrast how Zechariah responded to when Mary responds to Gabriel. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, Mary is a peasant. She does not have uh, the priestly upbringing. She does not know all of the law in the way that a priest would know the law. She... She's uneducated. She doesn't know. She just gets hit with this Gabriel saying, this is all going to happen. And she has a question, too, at first. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Now, to me, that doesn't sound like a question of doubt. It just simply sounds like a question of, um... I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Mary's uneducated, regular upbringing response. May it be so. God promised it. May it happen. May it happen just like God wants it to. However that's going to happen, may it happen. May the Lord's word be fulfilled. You know what it is? It's not just hoping that God's promise is going to come true. It's acting as if it already has. It's saying, you know what, I am going to survive this thing. These boots will float in the water. This is going to happen even though it seems impossible. I am going to be rescued. God is going to show up. So the difference between Zechariah and Mary, Zechariah is a priest, Mary's a peasant. He has every advantage and she is at a disadvantage. But when God promises, it's the difference between how can I be sure of this and I am the Lord's servant. In other words, it's the, the difference between maybe and will be. That is what god sized hope looks like. It's that despite everything going on and all the obstacles in my path, it will come to pass because God said it would. It's about having that 100% trust in God, so much trust in God, that he's your first phone call. He's the one who's going to rescue you and take care of you no matter what's going on in your life. God with us. God brings hope. And I think, you know, this verse that is said by Gabriel is one that we should commit to memory. Maybe you want to put it at your desk every day, put it in your house, put it in a big frame, for no word from God will ever fail, ever. God has spoken a word to you in your life. He has, and he's still speaking. We don't always believe it. We don't always receive it, but he's always speaking. What's he speaking? Words of rescue and hope. That we will be saved, that God will find a way. For us Christians, for us who have put our faith in God, hope is not optional. We have a God-sized hope in the one who is with us always. Sometimes it's a decision of life and death. And let us be like Mary. Lord, I am your servant. I trust that what you say is going to come to pass. That's easier said than done. Because lots of things get in our way. Lots of things try to tear that down in our lives. But don't buy it for a second. God is 100%. He's batting a 1,000, if you will. He has never not shown up. He has never delivered a promise that he has not made good on. And that's true for your life, especially when you feel like it's not. Amen.